So I'm starting to think that Greg actually doesn't like me that much because he always puts me in the slot right before lunch. So everybody's glucose is way down. And then he gives me these tough topics, you know, knowing your worth and billing and coding and compensation. And this year we're going to add understanding your malpractice policy. This is an uncomfortable subject for most of us to talk about, but something you need to know about to protect your future. So I want to go over my conflicts of interest. Greg already discussed that I'm the president-elect for the SDPA. I have two private uh, consulting enterprises and my own website. I'm also a PA. So I love being a PA, and I want all of my colleagues, everybody in this room, everybody who has the PA after their name, to do well, be successful, and particularly for this conversation, to be protected. Because if you are not protected, and you are sued for malpractice, you may no longer decide to stay in the profession if it's financially not you know, feasible for you. So my conflict is I want to see, you know, every one of us really flourish. And really this impacts the whole profession. If there's a PA out there that commits this egregious act of malpractice, it, it impacts all of us. It reflects poorly on all of us. So what we're going to talk about first is knowing your individual malpractice policy and seeing if it's enough to protect your financial future. This is a scary topic. It's scary to think about bad things happening. However, nobody wants to think about their house burning down, but you make sure there's smoke detectors, you make sure there's fire extinguishers in your house, you make sure that there's a fire hydrant near where you live. And that's the same thing. What you don't want to do is wait until there's a fire to ask your husband in the middle of the night, do we have smoke detectors? Because it seems really smoky in here. Okay, that's not logical. Same thing with your malpractice policy. You want to find out if you're protected now before you need it. We're going to talk about the basic types of malpractice insurance. We're going to talk about having your own policy versus being a rider on the physician or the practice policy. We're going to go over some of the details of your policy. And then we're also going to go over some malpractice cases and see if the 400 expert witnesses in this room think that those cases were malpractice. So let's take a poll, okay? How, raise your hand if you can name the carrier for your malpractice policy, minus through CM and F. Okay, lower your hand. All the people who didn't raise your hand, what happens if you're sued the same day your office burns down? There's no malpractice carrier in the sky. You don't know who's protecting you. Who do you call, okay? Second question. Raise your hand if you have a copy of your malpractice policy at your house. If you didn't raise your hand, there's a problem. Just talk to a very successful, intelligent PA this afternoon who actually is an independent consultant. I mean, has gotten to the point where she's paying her own health care taxes and set up this business. And she told me her first employer said, oh, you're covered, we are covered, you're covered. She left that job found out there was no proof of her ever being covered. So those of you who don't have a copy of that policy, you need to get one. So let's define malpractice, okay? Malpractice is professional misconduct or failure to use adequate levels of care, skill, or diligence in the, in the development, or sorry, the delivery of your professional duties. 
Malpractice typically occurs if a professional fails to exercise his or her professional skills at the level of skill and care applied to similar circumstances by the average other reputable person in the community. That whole thing, did you perform the standard of care, okay? It can be action or failure to act, failure to notify that patient, failure to re-excise, failure to biopsy. Loss or damage must be suffered by that person in order to be truly malpracticed. So if there's no damage, the patient really can't recover damages as a result of the error. Nonetheless, will you get a letter from a scary lawyer? Will you have heartburn that night thinking, oh my God, was this malpractice? Am I going to have to go testify? Is my boss going to still employ me? Am I going to be in the paper? Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Let's go over an example of a PA not in dermatology. Uh, let's say they are an ER PA and they misdiagnose someone's stomach pain as appendicitis. During surgery, they find out that it was not appendicitis, but really a perforated ulcer. Could that patient sue and say, this was malpractice that you misdiagnosed me? Not in this situation because surgery would have still had to occur to fix the perforated ulcer. Let's say, however, that that person actually just had indigestion. They had no ulcer, they had no appendicitis, they were put through surgery for no reason, they missed their job for six months, horrible things happened to them. Could that be malpractice? Could be. So number one, you want to keep your own records. So everybody here who didn't raise their hand is going to put top of their list in their Palm Pilot. Monday, first thing you're going to do is get a copy of your malpractice policy and put it in a safe place in your house. I recommend that your contract actually say that a copy must be given to you annually to have proof of insurance and your coverage limits. Put it in your contract. You know, what would happen if you're no longer employed at that office? And what would happen if it was a bad break? If the office manager, who's the doctor's wife, got divorced and decided they're going to screw the doctor and they're, they're, you no longer have proof of when you're, who insured you for 2003 to 2004. Ask these things. What if? What if something bad happens? What if the doctor passes away suddenly and this entire practice is closed? and someone sues me and the doctor, and the doctor is retired. And I don't even know who to contact to get a copy of who was my malpractice carrier in 2001, okay? So let's talk about a nightmare example that happened to a PA colleague of mine. Very responsible, gets her own policy, got her renewal at home, gave it to her office manager, said pay this, office manager forgot. Three months went by, she saw patients, and then she, for some reason, got a notice or checked again that her you know, policy had ended. She went to her office manager and said, oh, oh my goodness, how could you not pay this? I don't know, I swear I sent it off, the dog ate it, the US mail ate it, I don't know, I'm so sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. In the end, if someone had sued that PA for something that occurred in those three months, you can tell a judge and a jury the office manager forgot to send in my policy till you're blue in the face. It doesn't matter. So although it was the office manager's mistake, it was the PA who ended up suffering the consequences. So everybody, in case you didn't write it down before, action item, make sure when you go home, you get a copy of your policy. And while you're getting copies of things, 
How many of us have a copy of our practice agreement and made sure that everything was properly submitted to the State Board of Medicine to make sure that we're practicing in a kosher fashion? So put that down on bolt number two, get a copy of my practice agreement. Okay, so two types of, of malpractice. Um, I can do this detailed or I can do this not so detailed. Does anybody want the detailed version? I'm seeing some yeses, okay. So there's two types of malpractice policies you can get in the world, chocolate and vanilla. Occurrence policy and claims made policy. What an occurrence policy says is that that insurance company will cover you for any incident that occurred when you had that carrier. So the easiest way is let's go through an example. So let's say between 2000 and 2001, you had an occurrence malpractice policy through company ABC. It's now 2008 and you no longer have that same insurance policy, that same malpractice policy. Maybe you're not working, you stop to have kids. Maybe you've changed jobs and the next job says, oh, we're all covered under this other company, we want you to change policies. Multiple, many reasons why you would change policies, okay? You receive a notice that you are being sued. Oh, let me go back. So you receive a notice that you are being sued, okay, for something that happened in 2001. Even though you no longer have your occurrence policy through company ABC, they will continue to protect you because you had that insurance when you saw that patient. Okay, does that make sense? So 10 years, 20 years, whatever, how many years later, because I had an occurrence policy, when the event occurred, they're still going to cover me. Occurrence policies in general are more expensive. They were for a period almost impossible to find, although now I would say just harder to find. In fact, the AAPA malpractice insurance just relaunched not only an occurrence policy, but a transition policy from claims made to occurrence. And we're gonna talk about claims made. So what does that mean? That means if you have an occurrence policy right now, don't let it lapse. Take it from job to job to job, follow it around, make it your occurrence policy for life. In my mind, having an occurrence policy is really simpler, it's really easier, and it's really preferable. Okay, so let's talk about the opposite. Let's talk about vanilla flavor. A claims made policy. What a claims made malpractice policy says is it will only cover you if you have that same exact policy through the same exact insurance carrier. So let's use that example we did a moment ago. Between 2000 and 2001, you have a claims made policy through company X, Y, and Z. You get that notice, 2008, that says you are being sued from a patient you saw back in 2001. You've changed jobs, you've won the lottery, whatever it may be, you don't have that insurance coverage anymore. Because you had a claims made policy that you no longer currently have, company XYZ will not cover you. What does it mean to not have malpractice insurance? It means that you are personally liable. So the rest of Renee's paychecks are mine because she misdiagnosed my melanoma. So you wanna work for the rest of your life to pay someone else? Or do you really want that stress and anxiety God forbid something happens and it turns out to be malpractice. So what do you do if you have a claims made policy? 
There's only one way to protect yourself if you've had a claims-made policy and you're switching insurance carriers, and that's to purchase something called tail coverage. Tail coverage is supplemental insurance that can be purchased after a practitioner is ending their claims-made policy, okay? Using that previous scenario, so you left that practice where you had claims-made policy, in order to continue to be protected, you would need to purchase tail coverage, okay? And it could be from a completely different company. You just have to find someone that will provide you tail coverage for that claims-made policy. There's a couple posts on the SDPA forum. I'd encourage everybody to go and join the discussion forum because there's great posts on there. Who's your malpractice carrier? Who do you have that's covering cosmetics? Who, where can you get an occurrence policy? There was someone who put a post on there about purchasing tail coverage. I would say the average price for about 10 years of tail coverage would be $10,000. So number one, do you have $10,000? Would you feel like you couldn't leave your job because you couldn't come up with that money? Um, and it's only 10 years of coverage. I mean, I know everybody thinks of my Botox and Dysport, I'm really only like 12 years old. So I've got another 50 years to practice. So 10 years would not cut it for me, okay? And that's 10 years at $10,000. It's pretty expensive. The other thing you want to know about your policy, and you know, let's, let's go back, let's take a survey. Who has a current policy in the room? I do. Okay, Let a little, only a few of us. Who has a claims made policy? Who doesn't know what they have? Scary, scary. Okay, so what's your limit? What does this mean? Your limit is the maximum amount of money that an insurance company will pay on a claim. What you want to read through your policy and see, and you could just pick up the phone and call your malpractice carrier and ask them this. Does that number hey, here's our max, this is the most that you're covered for, does it cover legal fees? Legal fees easily can eat up $200,000, $500,000. The lawyer, the expert witnesses, okay, really to get uh, you know, a malpractice case, it could really run up that bill. So Let's also keep in mind that that's the top of the number. So let's say your insurance says you have $1 million in coverage, and a court decides that that patient, the appropriate settlement, appropriate amount to pay that patient would be $1 million. If your malpractice policy says that that $1 million included legal fees, you could be asked to come up with the $100,000 or $200,000 that was spent in your legal defense that wasn't successful. Okay, so everybody wants to find out if their malpractice policy limit includes legal fees. An ideal policy would say they cover expenses without limitation. And that's really the key sentence that most insurance carriers use that basically means when you have $1 million in coverage, it, it in addition will include all the other expenses, expert witness fees, the attorneys, et cetera. Where you want to find that information is on the declarations page, but if you simply can't find it, pick up and call your malpractice company. You know, it always amazes me how many people I've ever said, have you ever talked to the person who sold you your auto insurance? Most people say, yeah, I've, I've talked to them on the phone. They'll say, have you ever talked to the person who sold you your malpractice insurance? Have you ever picked up the phone and asked them a question? Most people say, no, I never have. And you should not feel afraid. You're the, you're the policyholder. You're paying their paycheck. If you have a question, you can't find this, you want to know where it is, pick up the phone and call them. The other question I get a lot is, well, what should that dollar amount be? How much is enough? 
Some states, like Pennsylvania, mandate that a PA has a minimum level of coverage, which is a $1 million minimum level. Okay, so you need to know if your state requires a minimum level of coverage. What people then ask me is, you know, I, I want to be covered, but I don't want to be a deep pocket. I don't want to be a target. At what point am I the more attractive person to go after in a malpractice case? And the answer is, I really don't know. What you need to ask yourself is you need to find out the history in your state of malpractice cases, typically what the settlements go for. What procedures are you doing? Are you doing a lot of high-risk procedures, excisions, assisting in Mohs, laser? Obviously, the, those are going to be higher-risk procedures than the person who's maybe just following up acne and warts. In the end, the bottom line of what this dollar needs to be is what will make you comfortable, what will make you sleep well at night, your little head on the pillow, not worrying if you get a letter from a lawyer, more than you're already going to worry, okay? So what's that number that you need to feel comfortable with? You know, reality check. In reality, if you had $1 million in coverage and a court says, you know what, that patient had $2 million in damages, you're responsible to pay out that extra million dollars. Okay, so yes, it protects us, but this is not a complete safety net. So not only do you need a good malpractice policy, but you should work with a financial planner to plan your estate, to understand how your state deals with marital assets, uh, 401k contributions, etc. Okay, so it's the next step beyond this to really protect your financial future is to find out from a financial advisor how you should plan your estate. Let's talk about having your own policy versus being a rider on the physician or group policy, because I get asked that question a lot. How many people have their own policy? Okay, how many people are a rider on their group or practice policy? Okay, so a large amount. So what that basically means when you're a rider on their policy is that somewhere in their policy, it needs to be written that Joe Smith, PAC, is covered by this insurance. And here's where the problem exists, okay? Doctor has a malpractice policy. They have a practice. They have nurses and medical assistants. Of course, they would never act, ask a nurse or a medical assistant to have an insurance policy, a malpractice insurance policy. So the theory is that that doctor's insurance or group insurance would cover if a medical assistant or a nurse burns someone in a light box, okay? That nurse typically does not have their own malpractice policy, so would fall under the captain of the ship, the physician. Incorrectly, many physicians then assume, that must apply to my PA or NP. I'm the captain of the ship, or they're a crew member. If something were to happen, they'd be covered under my policy. Incorrect, unless it specifically says Jane Smith is insured through this policy. And many doctors don't understand that. Many PAs don't understand that. So they say, but my doctor said I was covered on the group policy. Unless you've seen your name in black and white as truly a rider on that policy, I would contest that you may not have malpractice coverage, okay? I have always preferred to keep my own policy. I have the same policy that I bought two weeks before graduation from PA school because I had a dermatology lined up to start the day after I graduated. Why do I like that? Well, a couple reasons. It always comes to my house. I know when renewals are up, although it's in my calendar, so it comes up electronically just in case the mailman did eat my renewal notice. They have an obligation to me. 
I'm the one who decides if we're going to settle. Not my physician, not the group, me. Okay? You know, if you want to get your own policy, get the real numbers. Call around to three or four different malpractice cover, cover, care, care companies. Um, what you're going to find is that is infinitely less expensive than what our supervising physicians have to pay for their malpractice coverage. And you want to get the, the real numbers here, especially if you're going to come to your employer and say, you know what, I went to this lecture. I would feel more comfortable if I had my own policy. It would add even more protection to you as my supervising physician. Here's the dollar amount. What are you paying for me to be a rider on the policy? So what is the difference? I think it's worth the difference to have your own policy. If you decide, though, to be a rider on the group or physician policy, which honestly is not wrong, make sure you get a certificate of insurance. Okay, this is like a version of the declarations page that says Joe Smith, PAC, is a person insured. That's a perfect sentence. Abby Jacobson is a person insured. So if, you have a, if you're a rider, you absolutely need to get a copy of that, and you need to get a copy of it yearly. Most important point, absolutely get this in your contract. Okay, so anybody who changes jobs, it should just be a no-brainer. Physicians, practices should not have a problem saying, yeah, we're going to get you a copy of the policy every single year. I'm also a big fan of having your contract state the type of policy my contract says that an occurrence policy will be purchased for me. The coverage limit, if there's tail coverage. You know, it would not be wrong if an employer says, I'm sorry, we only have claims made here. To say, okay, that's fine. Obviously, I can't swim upstream. I can't be the one outlier. I've decided I'm not going to purchase my own policy at home. Let's put in my contract that if I'm fired, you will pay my tail coverage. Or if I'm here greater than 10 years, you'll pay my tail coverage. Or if I stay at this practice till I retire, you'll pay my tail coverage. Okay, is that understand that you can, you can talk about your tail coverage in your contract as well. A little harder to sell, like, hey, if I quit, can you cover my tail coverage, okay? So regulations and practice agreements, we talked about this a, a little bit at the beginning. You need to read your state regulations. I cannot believe how many people will email me a question about their state regulations. In my state, can I see patients in a satellite clinic? In my state, can I operate this laser? Why are you asking me? I don't live in that state, and even if I did live in your state, you should be asking your board of medicine. Not me, that's like whisper down the lane. Do you ask your supervising doctor, or do you ask their secretary what the supervising doctor thinks? Of course, you go right to the source. So same thing, you should absolutely read your state PA practice regulations. If you don't understand something, you should call your regulatory body, whether that's the Board of Medicine, PA Board, etc. Who makes the rules and ask them the questions. You should also have a record of your practice agreement, of your paperwork that was filed with the state. How do you even know you're really practicing in an appropriate fashion that your doctor really did file or submit or get approval, depending on your state, for you to do what you're doing every day? So let's talk about some common and sad reasons that people have been sued for malpractice and easy ways to make sure that you do not fall into this trap. Number one, every office should have an internal logbook, and that's so essential for dermatology because we get so many pathology reports. And then you really should have a tickler, someone who goes through that logbook, 
your comfort level, once a month, every six weeks, eight weeks at the most, and says, oh my gosh, Jane's lab never came back. She never got that blood work I told her to get. Or you know what, I don't have a biopsy report for the patient, the fax machine ate it. Okay, so you need to have a logbook to make sure, at least for pathology reports, but some would even say when you tell patients, go get this potassium level checked, and they don't get it. And then they have a problem with the Yaz that you put them on. And they say, I don't remember Abby telling me to go get labs, or she told me, but she made it sound like I could get it done any time over the next 20 years. <laughs> document, document, document. And particularly, document, document when you tell patients to return for biopsy, to return for re-excision, and to get any additional laboratory done. That should not only be in your logbook, but it should be in the patient record as well. You know, I was at a, a malpractice lecture once, and this is a, a quote from that lecture. If it doesn't act like a chicken, don't treat it like a chicken. If you have a lesion or a rash that is not following its expected course, alter your diagnosis. Get input. Get your supervising doctor. Biopsy lesion. Do not freeze an SK three, four, five, six times. Guess what? An SK should have come off by then. Okay? Trust your gut and involve your supervising physician. You need to have a supervising physician that you can go to and say, you know, I don't know, just something doesn't feel right. My gut's all butterflies. I don't know why, but I just want you to see this patient with me. You know, there was that famous Sally Field uh, quote where she accepted her Emmy or whatever it is. She said, you like me, you really like me. Studies have shown that patients are less likely to sue a provider, even when it was malpracticed, if they like you. So your patients need to like you. What are some qualities of providers that patients like? Showing empathy and respect. Listening attentively. I find a lot of patients who are mad about something. They just want me to listen. They want 60 seconds or six minutes to sit there, mm, 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 mm. That's all they want to hear from me, okay? They want to be heard. Eliciting concerns and addressing fears. Answering questions honestly. Don't sugarcoat it. If there's going to be a scar, there's going to be a scar, okay? Informing and educating patients about treatment options, so that's about informed consent and the full course of care, and involving patients in their medical decision making. These are factors that go into providers that are liked by their patients. So you gotta keep records. Gotta keep records of all of your important information, okay? Understand the type of policies, and we can go over occurrence or claims made if anyone was confused. You need to understand your policy. Pick it up, and I don't care how painful it is and hard it is to get through every sentence, read every word. Choose appropriate coverage based on what you do and where you live, and get in your contract what will be provided to you, both in terms of documentation of your policy, but perhaps even what type of policy will be purchased. Okay, so there's my references. Let's go over some malpractice cases. Okay, so picture this. You're in your car, and I call you up, and I say, Hi, this is Abby Jacobson. I'm a lawyer for Smith, Smith, and Smith, and we have a malpractice case, and we want you to be the expert witness. Let me go over some of the details of the case with you, and you tell me if you'd be interested in testifying as an expert witness in this malpractice claim. Okay? 
So 37-year-old male presented to the PA's office because his wife said there was a changing mole. And that's probably one of my favorite chief complaints. My wife made me come. Okay, I wish I had a dollar for every time a husband said, my wife made me come. So on physical exam, you see a five millimeter brown macule with irregular color, but even border and symmetry. But nonetheless, because the patient swears his wife says it's changing, you punch it out. You do a six millimeter punch, okay? Pathology report says severely dysplastic nevus, margins appear free. Patient never calls. No news is good news, according to the patient. Four years later, that patient has a melanoma in the area, sues the PA, gets another lab with hindsight to look at that original biopsy, and that other lab says it was actually a melanoma in sight too. Was this malpractice? Yep, I'm hearing standard of care for severely dysplastic nevus would be to not only follow up, but maybe even re-excise it with greater than a one millimeter margin. Is the lab committing malpractice? Did they misread it? Anybody ever look at, a, at uh, under the microscope a severely dysplastic nevus versus an early melanoma in situ? It's a Rorschach test. I can't, this is why I don't do histology. Oh my God, it's com I think it's incredibly difficult. So pack that away in the back of your brain. Pack that away in terms of what, how do I make sure that my severely dysplastic nevi are treated? Okay, so case number two, 40-year-old male has a non-healing lesion on his left distal thumb. The PA per, uh, performs a tangential biopsy. Supervising physician, who happens to also read the slides in his office, says it was a squamous cell, okay? PA then says, calls the patient and says, you should get Mohs because this is on the distal part of your thumb, okay? Guess what? The supervising doctor is also the Mohs surgeon. So the supervising doctor who read the pathology and supervises the PA is now going to do Mohs. Area never heals. Patient sees the PA twice. They're doing things like Bactroban and wound care. And then patient's lost to follow-up. Doesn't keep their third follow-up appointment. Nothing cancels it even, okay? Two years later, that patient is diagnosed with metastatic terminal melanoma. The original biopsy is re-read as a melanoma. By that time, the PA and the supervising doctor have separated on not so great terms. The doctor sees a bus coming and says, let's put the PA under there, <laughs> and blames the PA, says that he didn't do the right analysis because the PA on the lab slip just wrote down biopsy, didn't write SCC versus melanoma. So was this malpractice? I think ever no, yes? So malpractice somewhere was occur it should have been read correctly, right? Did the PA commit malpractice? What if the insurance policy is the doctor's? Awkward. Might not have protection. Okay? So unfortunately, I didn't make all these up, okay? So case number three. Forty-year-old female returns to your office for a pimple that won't heal. I love seeing that in writing. I've got my uh, differential down to like one, okay? Tangential biopsy is performed. The lab faxes the report to Abby Jackson, the OBGYN across the way. Or instead of my last four digits, they're slightly off by one. But the lab has documentation that it was faxed. I never got it. 
Patient comes back a year later, much larger BCC, tells you she's a news anchor and is, you know, her job depends on what she looks like. Was that malpractice? I should have had a tickler. Absolutely. Okay, case number four. And by the way, these are obviously not all about me. So when someone comes over later and is like, oh, Abby, thanks for sharing. You know, I'm not going to share in this forum. Okay. So case number four, last case, okay, before we get to lunch and questions. 29-year-old female presents for the treatment of changing moles on her body. You diagnose them as SKs. Before you can even ask the patient, do these bother you? Are they itching? Are they bleeding when you're your bra? She immediately says, I just hate the way they look, okay? So you tell her then to treat them. This is cosmetic because they're not irritated, they're not inflamed. You just don't like the way they look. You charge her a cosmetic fee of maybe $80 to free some SKs, maybe 15 SKs. You treat them with liquid nitrogen. Treatment for SKs, liquid nitrogen, standard of care? Yeah, I agree. Patient sues you three months later. She didn't give that very much time, did she? Because the areas are hypopigmented. She's now unable to participate in sexual activities with her partner because she is so psychologically devastated by the hypopigmentation. And she was just about to embark on a modeling career that you have now ruined and clearly cost her $10 million in damages. Was this malpractice? Did you get informed consent? And then did you document informed consent? Even if you did, let's think about the anxiety that you would experience being the target of this malpractice claim, even if you did everything right. Now imagine you can't find who provided your malpractice coverage. Nightmare, okay? Any questions, and then we'll kind of go to lunch now that I've scared everybody. I've given everyone heartburn. There should be some, like, Zantac in the uh, exhibit hall, right? I have a question. Uh, sort of for you, sort of for the room. This okay. is kind of an ongoing debate in our practice as to uh, we dictate all of our visits and what to write under the assessment and plan when we do a biopsy. So are we writing neoplasm of undetermined behavior? rule out yada, yada, yada. Um, one physician thinks we should just write rule out atypia because he feels if we name a diagnosis and it comes back benign, that if it later is something that we suspected was a skin cancer and actually documented that, then we're liable for not having gone back and looked at this. So I'm just curious as to how people are documenting this and what, what your opinion is. You know, I think there's been malpractice cases where the lab incorrectly diagnoses something and you know what? You trust the lab. Mm -hmm. You know, if you send someone for a CBC with a diff, you don't call up that lab and say, can I see the smear? <laughs> okay? So everybody's got to do their part. And you know what? Hopefully that dermatopathologist that you're sending it to is someone that you trust to read pathology reports mm -hmm. correctly. Um, I will put what I think if I was really that concerned. And you know what? If I'm really that concerned about something, I will call up that pathologist and say, I, are you, really, this was a, a you know, intradermal nevus? I mean, I, you know, counseled this patient. I was, are you sure? Um, and I've had biopsies switched on the same patient and called at the lab and said, you know, I just, I really think that that one from the butt was the intradermal nevus and the one I took off the arm was the melanoma. Are you sure? Can you tell very upfront with the patient, hey, I suspect something went wrong we're going to re-biopsy both areas. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, I think honesty is the best policy for my practice. If it was, you know, Nevis, rule out atypia, I'd put that. Does any, I mean, does everybody sort of agree that who would, who puts in their charts Nevis rule out atypia? As opposed to just like biopsy of Nevis. Right. Anybody put just biopsy of Nevis? Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Good question. Hi, could, I've been reading on the website a little bit about the um, differences in malpractice coverage, whether the PA is covered to do cosmetic procedures, and sometimes when they contact the insurer, they'll say, well, it's cosmetic, it's Botox, it's plastic surgery, and there's a lot of confusion even on the website as far as whether they're covered to do those procedures and what companies cover them. Could you just address this? You know, I think you should, again, you're the, the policyholder, call up your insurance and say, I do, and don't just say cosmetics, that sounds scary. I do procedure X, I do procedure Y, I do procedure B, I inject this, this, and this. Is the policy for Abby Jacobson going to cover that? And you're going to get your answer, yes, no, maybe, and then document that answer. If they will not, although they should provide you something in writing, I spoke to John Smith, representative from CNMF at this date. John, do you have an extension? John, what's your last name? Okay. Hi, Abby. Does it make sense to have your own policy and be put on a rider, or is that redundant? Um, it's a little redundant. I think it's probably an overexpense, so you're probably paying twice, but that's okay. Some people use birth control pills and condoms. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's okay to be double covered. If that's your comfort level, be double covered. It's probably a little superfluous, but if you want to, go to, go to town. Okay, thank you. Kurt? Abby, if you transition from a claims to occasional or occurrence, does, do you have to get tail coverage during that time? For the AAPA is advertising a policy where you wouldn't. It's like a conversion policy from claims made to occurrence. I'm not quite sure how it costs or, or what it costs or how it works, but that's what their latest uh, article in, uh, I think it was maybe JAPA, talked about. So if you have a claims made policy, call them up and ask, and then post your answer on the forum. Okay, thanks. Abby? Oh, um, sorry. Um, going back to the cosmetic liquid nitrogen, um, when you talk about informed consent, are we talking about a separate form that the patient signs? Is it enough to write in your note, informed consent obtained? I think it's enough to write in your note, particularly if you go a little bit more than, I usually say, informed consent obtained, alternatives discussed, side effects discussed, including da-da-da-da. And I prefer to have a macro. So I'll say liquid nitrogen consent macro. And I've sat down and I've looked at it and decided what it says. Having said that, our Mohs surgeon, who is a newer physician, gets a consent for everything, a written consent for everything, including a tangential biopsy, okay? And then I have my senior supervising physician who probably doesn't even document that and will like scrape and burn EDNC like an SCC in the middle of someone's face and feel like he just, oh, you know, I, I could contest that, that I gave that person informed consent. My medical assistant in the room could contest it. Our medical assistants sign every chart when they're in there with us so we would know. I think the answer is A, somewhere in between, and B, what makes you sleep well at night. I think, you, you know, document, document. If you want to have a separate sheet for every procedure, go for it. Um, actually, follow up to that, uh, a PA of mine, or a friend of mine who's a PA in, at an internal medicine practice in Pennsylvania, the doctor was sued 
because the doctor did not say in the note that the patient understood the risks. And she lost that case. She documented risks discussed with the patient, alternative treatments discussed, but it was never documented that patient expressed understanding. So. Yeah, document, document, document. Yeah. Actually, how long do you recommend having tail coverage for? Because, um, I, you know, I have friends myself who have left practices and um, the employer or the PA purchases tail coverage. Do you recommend a five-year policy, a ten-year policy? You know, I've been told that in dermatology, as long as the patient's not a pediatric patient, they only have five years to sue you. My understanding is that pediatric patients have until they turn 18, and in some states even beyond that, like five years plus 18. But for adult patients? Again, um, it depends on your state. Okay. okay? It's a state-by-state issue. Um, I certainly, I, I, you know, how many of us see pediatric patients under the age of 18? Everybody, okay? Um, it's a personal question. You know, how long are you going to be practicing? So Joe Monroe might need to feel he needs less tail coverage than I maybe would since I'm only 16 years old, okay? So it depends on how long you plan to practice. I think anything less than 10 years is probably short-sighted, especially with the idea of a pediatric patient saying we went there and was told this was a congenital nevus and turned out to be something else. Um, you could certainly do the 18 or 20 years because of that. Um, only you can decide. And some people say, hey, it's a gamble. I'm not going to get tail coverage at all, and I'm hoping this will all get thrown on the captain of the ship, my supervising doctor. And we definitely don't see that anymore. If you are the person to perform the service, PA or NP, whatever it may be, you're going to be the target of the malpractice suit in addition to the captain of the ship. Okay, so it's a personal question. Only you can decide. Thank you very much for attending. Have a good conference.